listeners, and welcome to another episode of Compare and Campaign. I'm your host, Tom Lando, and with me, as always, is my co-host and co-GM, Miguel. You're not any sort of special thing now, because uh, we covered Notorious last time, right? Yeah, we touched upon Notorious and sort of gave the broad strokes of it, but I have since bought the source book from Itch.io, and uh, it, Notorious is a solo RPG, so there's not really a GM, oh, yeah. but I am playing a nomad, so I guess I'm a nomad while I play yeah. Notorious. Co- co-nomad. I'm not a nomad. co Not yet, anyway. Um, it is the 19th of October, 2023, and we are recording episode 166, if uh, I have that correct. And, um, yeah, uh, how are you doing, McGill? I, I understand you've fallen down a rabbit hole. Oh, my God, Tom. I'm doing, I'm doing really well, thanks. I've had, had a great week since the last time we talked, and uh, not because any huge, significant, like, great things happened to me. I just had a really nice, relaxing week. Everything was going real easy, a nice, leisurely time. And you and, played Teeth. And I played Teeth which was really fun. I, I did some DMing. I ran a, some D&D. And I, as I said, I picked up Notorious. And uh, I've been playing it for the past couple of days. And I'm absolutely loving it. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about that, too. And yeah, you, you said uh, I fell down a rabbit hole. I have some RPG news uh, that, I, that caught my eye recently. Uh, and I was, was going to read out the news here on the show and then when i was reading the article there was a link and it, i fell down a whole rabbit hole and i got more stuff to talk about it should you want me should we do rpg news right off the bat i don't know i i kind of feel like we should uh keep them keep them on their keep them in suspense oh maybe do it last yeah i'm, th- I'm thinking i'm gonna do my thing first well tell us about your thing how are you well, I- Oh man, honestly, I'm uh I've been depressed lately. I haven't uh been doing so well. I've been feeling even in my own games. I mean, it's something I brought up on the podcast recently is like I just been dissatisfied in my own games. And uh you know, but you know, I got uh you know, I'm I'm doing therapy programs and whatnot and everybody tells me I got to just like you know, work against it. I gotta, I gotta stay out of bed, which is real hard because I spend a lot of time in bed. Um, been watching a lot of Dimension Twenty. A lot of I, I, I've watched um, the first season, Fantasy High. I watched the first side quest, Escape from the Blood Keep. I watched the Unsleeping City. Uh, I've watched like some of Tiny Heist. Um, and now today I've just been watching their uh, God I, I don't even remember what it's called but their their thing that's like uh, campaign advice their thing that's basically like what we do <laughs> and and it sounds like uh, you endorse just all of these things uh, I, I mentioned uh, previously that I was sort of surprised and delighted to hear you approve of an actual play kind of video show 
uh, something similar to Critical Role, but as we know, you, you don't really like Critical Role. You know, you haven't really liked uh, too many of these actual play shows. It's nice to hear that Dimension 20 is is met with your approval, and it sounds like their, like, DM advice show is also good? Uh, it... I begrudgingly approve of it, I guess. <laughs> it's like I'm bitter about it, because they're, like, getting to do the, 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 you know, they're... Everything just seems so great for them, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm... I'm Like I say, I've been depressed, so I, I've not been in a great mood. But, I'm really um, sorry to hear that, but you know what? Uh, recently, we we talked about how RPGs can have an application for therapy, so maybe we just need to play more D anD. d I mean, I I I may need to play more of something or something. I I gotta find something to do with my time. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, in terms of the the seasons of Dimension Twenty. Um, I will say to their credit that like it's a very slick production. Uh, the they have this for this structure where every second episode is a combat, and so you have like combats are specifically designated as these big episode long things that happen every second episode, and those episodes have like really cool bespoke miniatures uh like totally customized diorama like uh battle sets that have like little indicators that that allow the players to move around them and understand like the like it's it's not quite a grid there's just little markers basically and it's very like it's very well put together and very well designed and uh that's all great and like cool if you're gonna watch it I'll be honest, a lot of times I just have it on in the background and I'm doing something else. Like I'm playing a video game and I've like, you know, I'm not even on the window where it's playing. So I don't, I don't always watch it. Um, I will say funny enough, there are like, these seasons have, uh, been released as podcasts and i tried listening to the unsleeping city in podcast form since i was putting it on in the background a lot anyway and like what i found was that like there was no difference between putting the video on in the background and putting the podcast version on like there was no sort of audio editing for like the discrepancy between the video or anything it was just like literally I mean, just the audio for the video as far, as far as i could tell Speaking of um, of actual play podcasts with audio editing, very specific thing. Um, have you heard of? Let me see here. Night of the Hogmen. Have you heard of this this actual uh, of play show? I've heard. Of course, I've heard of Night of the Hogmen. It's the original, the original piece that uh, launched the Teeth Project. Right. Well. Um, I hadn't really paid any attention to it, but Grant sent me a link to an episode recently, and I was listening to it, and uh, I was pretty impressed with their their production quality, because they clearly do some editing to polish things. I don't know how much editing they do of the actual play, of them actually playing. It seems like maybe they tighten up the timing on their dialogue, 
But I, I love that they add this whole soundscape in under their game. Gives it a really nice immersive quality. But I wasn't sure if you'd listen to it, uh, whether whether or not you liked that sort of thing. Uh, I haven't listened to that uh, particular podcast, though Grant did show it to me. Uh, Grant, big uh, shout out to him for helping me out with my uh, Ceremony and Shadow project. Ceremony and Shadow, he plays Teeth with us. He's played yeah. in in my games in the past. Long time friend of the show. And uh, yeah, I mean, I figure, you know, my side of the podcast, same as always, I'm just going to be catching up with uh, where we left off with the heroes of Al's Aces. Um, or not Al's Aces, Coyote's Aegis. I got the whole wrong campaign. I would have been doing the different campaign if it was Al's Aces. Coyote's Aegis, we left the heroes off. Um, they had just finally regrouped with the army in the forest of Agalok, the uh, Draelic army that is poised to launch their assault on Ashgrain Outpost, this uh, slave-driven industrial hellscape of human supremacy deep in the forest. And uh, yeah, so for for a while now, we've been covering this operation, Operation Failing Moon, and it's just been the players exploring, going back through the forest and gathering up all the allies they could remember and think of and find uh, to join this assault that they're going to launch on the on the bad guys. And one thing uh, that you had mentioned uh, previously is like. There's a lot more big escalating combat in this in this part of the of the campaign. But like again, we're at like I think level 18 now or something like that. We're like very high level. Um it really is like this is sort of the climax or we're getting to the sort of there's two big battles that need to happen for the bad guys to go down in Agalok. And this is the first of them, and uh, it's it's at like the peak of this uh, of the fifth act, just before the final act, which is going to see them take a trip somewhere completely different. Um, and yeah, so it's is we're really like I I really went all out with the I used the whole meat for every combat. They they really got every every inch of resistance I could give them. it's exciting to see all this like it's building right you were saying that uh we're we're approaching sort of the, the final countdown as it were uh certainly i mean certainly for this act uh not not entirely for the for the campaign the really there's there's still more to come but you know there's still more to come in a current timeline i haven't finished this campaign and it's currently on hiatus. Um, Which means we're catching yeah. up. That's the final countdown. We're going to catch up to the present. Yeah, we'll see. We, things have really slowed down now that I've taken such a granular approach to this uh, to, to this act. And, like, just because I have the text record, the sort of transcript of it. Which, like, I always find myself sort of questioning if it's, like, the right call to be just, like, reading this transcript so directly. But I don't know. 
I do my best with it. I, I've I've breezed over a few combats recently just because we don't need to hear about all of them. I see no problem in just reading from the transcript. I mean, it's not like any of us are, can just pull it up and read it ourselves, right? This is an exclusive document. I suppose so. So, the party makes a camp... Ma sorry, the party makes camp a short distance away from one of the other small groups of soldiers gathered in the forest. Exhaustion from the arduous trek they were just on quickly gets the better of them. But as they doze off, they notice that many of the groups of soldiers are moving periodically. As Morgar, the orc uh, commander, uh, not commander, general, or whatever, it's some some military official, it's all, there's Gog, Commander Gog <laughs> and, uh, you know, J Sar Sergeant Morgar, uh, whatever. Military official orc Morgar. Uh, as he mentioned, the soldiers are trying to avoid staying still for too long, and thus none of the soldiers are taking the kind of extended rest that the party currently needs. There's a lingering issue before they rest, though. What's Gent going to do about the flail, if anything? This is the tentacle flail that uh, Gent has that has been causing them to have uh, strange nightmares involving Gratz right. that seems to have a connection to the Demon Lord. And uh, Gent is... It was, it was this flail that revealed the whole six-fingered hand thing, right? Um, it was certainly... That was, like, a part of, of... You know, it's hard to tell because Gent had their whole sort of, like, yarn web detective board that, like, brought them to all those conclusions. And it's like, that was definitely part of it. Um, I don't know if it... I, I don't... I wouldn't say it was the exclusive clue, but it was definitely a clue that like, because in the end it turned out that every operation of this act had some sort of connection to Gratz. Right. Right. Um, so that, that was just like one of many clues. Um, but yeah, gent, uh, gent at this point is torn. Uh, they say, they say, uh, on the one hand, it is an item they found, and found items are the favorite items. But also, having a link to a demon means maybe having the rest of the group at risk. And then they say, remind me, the Illithids I recruited, were they impressed by the flail or impressed with me having it? And I say, impressed with you having it is definitely more the way to put it. They took it as a sign that you'd killed the rogue thought, and by doing so, you'd done them a big favor. On the plus side, they are present here, and you could ask them about it here at the camp. And uh, Jen says, all right, I want to find them at the camp. And I say, there are only so many of them, and the camp hosts hundreds if not thousands of soldiers. But the clusters of troops throughout the area are able to direct you to one of the Illithids by relaying information from one group to another. The Illithids are generally mobile, sweeping the camp to ensure the sanity of those stationed there, but eventually you catch up with one of them. Greetings, the Illithid speaks into their mind telepathically. I understand you have been seeking our aid. Are you or your companions suffering from the mentally destabilizing effects of the forest? And Jen says, uh, no, nothing like that. I was hoping I could ask you a few questions about the flail I carry. What do you know of it? And uh, the Illithid seems to relax slightly and says, It is a blasphemous thing. And there is a pause as the Illithid observes Jen and says, I'm hesitant to ask, but do you wish for me to examine it? 
Jen says, no, not if it makes you concerned or discomforted. I was considering destroying it, but I am uncertain if that is the right course of action. And the Illithid says it would be a relief of sorts. The Illithid pauses again. Not that I would presume to direct you to destroy your trophies, but it was the perverse tool of one whose memory brings shame to us all. It is a memory we would prefer to part with. And uh, Gent says, what do you know of the dreams? And the Illithid says, dreams? And Gent says, dreams of a six-toed crow. Will destroying it sever any connection, or is it moot at this point? And the Illithid responds, we are not aware of any dreams, but the Illithid shakes its head. If the tool has formed connection to the sickness that the Illithid pauses again, it is difficult to phrase. The rogue thought is and was infected by a sickness. The psychic impressions that Gent gets are odd. They feel like the Illithid is attempting to illustrate a concept of being and having a sickness at the same time, albeit with some difficulty. If the tool is exposing you to that same sickness, destruction may be preferable. Again, it is not our place to instruct you. It was you that destroyed the rogue thought, not us. The trophy is yours, but continued exposure to the sickness. The Illithid still doesn't have a good name for this should be avoided at all costs. Destruction of the trophy might eliminate this vector. The Illithid seems to shudder slightly. We could examine the tool. And uh, Janet says, can I read if they want to examine it for evil reasons? And I have her, them roll insight. They get a 19, and I say, it is very hard to read an Illithid, but all of its little reactions in your conversation so far have given you the sense that, if anything, this Illithid doesn't want to examine it. However, it may be able to tell you more about the tool if it can actually examine the thing rather than just sense its presence. Jen says, okay. I would appreciate it if you would, just so I can make the best informed decision. The Illithid nods silently. When they withdraw the flail... The tentacles are initially lazily coiling around the rod, but as Gent holds it out towards the Illithid, the tentacles suddenly reach out as if desperate to grab the Illithid's face. The Illithid hisses and recoils. The Gent gets less of a psychic dis transmission than they are hit by a wave of disgust that they can't quite understand. Destroy it! The Illithid erupts in a psychic cry of disgust. It's a facehugger staff. Um, and then, uh, there's a little image in the discord that I sent you, uh, that basically shows the like portrait gallery that we had for this scene that, uh, Morgwar was, was in the scene. Um, it was more just to mark like who was present in the camp, but yeah, this is something that, that you do on roll 20. And I, I gotta say, I totally, I've stolen this. Uh, this habit from you where I have a page on roll 20 that's just like my my portrait gallery for any time there's just a scene of dialogue so that people can see who's talking it's a it's a good thing but do go on yeah well it's it's you know it's one of the things I I find with uh, you know role-playing games is like a lot of these cool practices are just like spread from one DM to one DM is just mm -hmm. like Oh, that's a cool idea. I'm going to do that. Um, and yeah, the portrait gallery has definitely been one that like uh, I've been using for some time. And I think like it's really important just to like, you know, have a face to put to a name, you know? 
especially playing online because in person I I if whenever I play a role playing game in person I find that I need very little in the way of visuals like I don't even necessarily need a battle map or anything like that. Uh, it's fun if there is one, of course, but it's just so much easier when you're sitting around a table to react to the people who are there in person with you. So something like a portrait gallery like this, it's great for when you're playing online and you, you can't look at the person that you're talking to directly and address them as their character. You got to look at your webcam and this way you can see their character and, and gives you something to look at. Um, and in this case, it uh, gave my brother something to do while uh, Gent was engaged in this conversation. <laughs> since uh, my brother wasn't really in the scene, he uh, drew a little friendly elephant. I was wondering if that was your work or someone else's. It's great. I, I like it. A lot of uh, great little side art came out of my brother sort of like doodling as I described things and whatnot. Um... And uh, so I said, uh, the flail continues to reach for the illithid while the illithid stands back with its head turned. And Gent says, I will attempt to snap the flail over my knee. And I say, as you attempt to harm the flail, the flail turns on you. Its tentacles sprout tiny spikes and it attempts to wrap around your leg to constrict it. And uh, Gent says, does anyone else see this? And I say, I mean, the illithid certainly does. Gent says, uh, I will start to bash against the ground. You may want to grab reinforcements. And I say, it hits. The tentacles wrap around your leg, biting into it with its little teeth. The illithid hisses in disgust. Some nearby soldiers see the commotion and come rushing over. What the hell is it? They ask in confusion, seeing a rod in your hands with tentacles stretching off of it to constrict your slightly bleeding leg. Uh, Gent takes 10 piercing damage. Oh, now Gent is pissed. Uh... Then I said, piercing and blunt damage, really. The gent says, I will channel Hex trying to fillet some eel or tentacled thing before cooking it. Take out my rapier and stab it. The, uh, Alex says, out of character, I'm picturing the rod scurrying around on the ground with its pole straight up, dipping in and out of tents with the Benny Hill theme playing. And I say, roll your rapier attack, gent. And, uh... Instead of the uh, rapier, Jane decides they'll use the sun blade, light it up, and then use thirty to gets thirty to hit. And I say Jedi shit. You swiftly draw the blade of radiant light and sweep it across the top of your leg, cleaving the tentacles away and causing the bits of them that are sheared off to become immediately incinerated. The rod falls to the ground, its tentacles writhing with a distinct, quiet screeching sound as they burn away. And uh, Jen says, "I keep bashing it with the blade like someone who overstomps a spider." I say, you sense that the illithid approves as it watches you do the deed. The rod is split in two, then cut into tiny embers that burn away in the dense underbrush. The soldiers who have gathered look on in confusion, weapons drawn but not aimed anywhere in particular. Another illithid approaches. The illithid you had been speaking to intercepts the one in approaching as if to present them ever seeing what it is they're destroying. The flail is destroyed. Gent uh, is totally out of breath, they say, and then suddenly realizing everyone is watching says, that's just a taste of what I can do, and then flourish with their bow. And I say, the soldiers step back a bit. With the show over, superior officers begin to rally their troops back into position. The illithid that Gent had been speaking to lingers while the other moves on. It approaches Gent as the audience for the scene disperses. I apologize for my sudden loss of composure. The elephant struggles to explain. You might understand the thing, the tool. It was as though 
Dilithid observes Gent for a moment. Imagine that one of your kind lay a clutch of eggs, but through some disgusting means had made so one of the eggs hatched something that was more tool than bird. Do you understand? The Illithid seems unsure. Gent says, I'm not sure that I do, but I'm sorry you had to endure that. Thank you for your counsel. The Illithid nods. It is we that should thank you. The Illithid bows and then returns to its duties surveying the camp. And then Gent goes to return where the party had been staying. And that's where we continued the long rest. And like that is just, we just had a little scene of uh, destroying a magic item. The discussion of whether to do it or not, the freaking out when he saw how it reacted. Uh, this all took and... place during their downtime. Had you planned this to, to happen this way? No, but I did bring it up as a thing that had been like a lingering issue. So I had like some foresight of like, oh yeah, this is like an ongoing plot point and we should address it. Um, but yeah, I had not, uh, I don't think I had fully planned out, um, how the destruction of the item was going to go or anything. Cool. So yeah, there's something, I don't know if you've ever done that is have like a character try to destroy a magic item and have it turn on them. You know, I, it's not coming to mind, but I feel like there's, there's definitely a chance that something like this has happened trying to destroy a magic item and it all goes wrong. I've definitely, I've been in campaigns where I've seen uh, people pick up cursed items and then it becomes a problem. Do you ever have that go on in your games? Yeah, yeah, cursed items. Um, actually, I did just uh, run an adventure recently where uh, the players found a lich's phylactery but didn't recognize it as one and were carrying it with them and they started being haunted by a spectral horse not realizing that the spectral horse was actually the lich hmm i uh remember uh i was in a game where our barbarian put on a cursed shroud and uh began acting strangely and uh we <laughs> we it, it was a thing where it was like uh one of us told him, like, hey, maybe you should try taking off that shroud, buddy. And he was like, no. And then we're like, uh, well, why not? And he's like, because you're not. We were playing a game where we were a crew on a ship. And he was like, because you're not our, my captain. And then we, like, specifically got the captain. And then they were like, take off the shroud. I order you. And he was like, no. And we were like, all right, roll initiative. <laughs> So, when Jed gets back to the rest, uh, Alex says uh, Connor is dead asleep and Hex is cleaning his pistols. And uh, a vengeful, Hex asks, eyeing uh, Jent's uh, bleeding leg. Jent says, never eating calamari again. Hex picks something black out of his teeth and says, yeah, between the undead drow and the azur, I'm not liking the menu here. Jent says... We may have a strong uh, allyship with the Illithid now. We should keep it in mind. And uh, then they take their uh, long rest. And then all of their dreams are plagued by visions of giant many-legged reptiles which stalk them through the forest. This is from 
the module that I'd been using. Ah. Uh, I think it's Sith Forkane Unbound. That sounds right. I know I had gotten it mixed up with a different Sith Morcane module. Yeah, I I had too because there's Sith uh the occupation of Sith Morcane and then Sith Morcane Unbound. One comes at like the start of the season and one comes like near the end. But yeah, Sith Morcane Unbound, uh. DDEX 315. It does have this thing where uh, when they take a rest in the forest, there's a specific dream that they have about giant many-legged reptiles that stalk them through the forest um, or through the Underdark in the case of uh, that module. Uh, at times, they jolt awake as one descends on them in a flash of light. They quickly fall back to sleep. They all have to make wisdom saving throws with advantage. This is, uh, they're t making wisdom saving throws because, uh, sleeping in the forest, uh, they risk magical madness. Um, but they have advantage because Connor has, like, as one of his special boons as he leveled up, uh, he gained, like, a special sort of aura that gave everybody resistance to magical madness. Something that would really specifically come in handy in this campaign um so hex and connor uh awaken as normal um but unfortunately gent fails their save and uh so gent blames the teeth marks but i say gent you find yourself lying in a state of sleep paralysis unable to move at all but you can just barely speak falteringly Try as you might to raise your voice, you find it comes out muted as if half-spoken under your breath or just to yourself. Uh, Hex and Connor awaken as normal, but Gent remains in this state. Does this ever happen to you, McGill? You ever get this uh, state where you're like just almost woken up and you like can't quite raise your voice? Sleep paralysis, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's weird. Uh, I don't get it very often. What happens is if I'm trying to cry out in a dream, there will be a moment where I wake up and I'm still trying to cry out, but I'm going like <gasps> in my throat and then I wake up fully. Yeah, or I'll wake up and I'll just be going like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I don't even know if you that even picked up. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it. Um, All right. But I've never, thankfully knock wood gotten the kind of sleep paralysis where you envision a hag sitting on your chest yeah apparently that's, a common that's one. what i was thinking of too yeah apparently that's a common one thankfully not one that i have suffered from uh so uh connor groans and stretches and says well i guess they want us to get checked by the uh, checked out by the illithids might as well oblige them hex moves to follow Let's get this over with. I gotta get a I gotta check out the field mess. And they go, uh, you coming, Gent? Wakey wakey. I doubt there's eggs and bakey. And Gent just continues to lie there. And uh Oh weird, Al Alex then said in brackets, this is weirdly topical these days. So I wonder what was going on uh huh. with him. But and then I also I said in brackets, uh, if this was me, I'd be going, uh, uh what? <laughs> what has happened? Uh, 
So anyways, Connor and Hex exchange glances. Connor reaches out and taps Gent a couple times. Huh. And then casts Greater Restoration. And Gent snaps out of it. Dreaming of birds again? You really got to get rid of that thing, Connor frowns. And uh, Gent says, already five steps ahead of you, as always. And I got that got a little chuckle out of me. And uh, Gent uh, inspects their leg wound and talks about the many-legged reptiles they dreamt about. It says, relatives of yours, Hex. And uh, I laugh at that as well. And then <laughs> Hex just says, all my relatives are dead. Brutal. Got a real laugh out of me. <laughs> also, uh, Chantel got a laugh out of Chantel. Uh, Jesus, Jen doesn't react that way. That was just me. And uh, Hex says, I saw similar things in my dreams. I don't like this. Something in our heads. Jen says, er, yeah, we can discuss this with my new best friends. Connor casts an eye around the camp as they move towards the Illithids. Any ca other catatonic sleepers, he asks. And I say, no, but the soldiers haven't been on the same sleep schedule as you. Most of them will be taking their first long rest later on, so you're quite ahead of things on that front. Though you wouldn't know it due to the darkness of the canopy above you. It's morning. Uh, does Hex prepare anything in these conditions to rejuvenate the party? Hex finds the biggest pot or metal receptacle in the camp and starts up an army stew. And I say, classic. Do you know army stew, McGill? army stew uh no is this just oh, one man. of those things where you just you empty all your rations into a pot kind of but it is like a beloved korean dish oh um it is from like it, it's i i it's from like the soldiers would have it when they were stationed in korea and it's just like tons of like it, it's like Tons of like American staple garbage foods mushed in with like kimchi and spam, noodles. Spam, sausages, ramen. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'd eat it. I guess. Not a big fan of spam, but the rest sounds pretty good. American cheese, hot dog. Um, <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, and, and and like people love it. Like, like people in Korea will tell you that this is their favorite food. Wow. Oh, and it's, it's, that's hilarious. So you're right. It's not just like American staple garbage foods, but like, uh, when I saw, you know, ramen noodles in it, I didn't realize it was like the, the block of cheap ramen, like top ramen noodles. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty good. And, uh, yeah, so, a uh, little shout-out to that. Uh, uh, Hex makes uh, some of that. Uh, Jen says, ooh, sounds great. And uh, I say, the Illithids are basically never in one place altogether, and none of them remain in one place very long. Still, you manage to catch up with one of them as before, and as before, their first concern is the immediate mental health of their party. Are any of you experiencing unusual mental disruptions? And Connor offers, we shared a dream. Uh, that's not like normal, by the way, the Illithid nods. It is likely your shared experience will extend to the soldiers here when they take their rest. It is an effect of sleeping in the forest. And uh, <laughs> Alex says, does Gent say anything about sleeping in? Gent says, yes, uh, I was also paralyzed. 
the elephant examines Gent. How did you overcome that state? And Gent says, the almighty love of Palor through the hands of Connor. And uh, Connor says, I've gotten some experience with such things recently. The elephant glances at Connor and nods again. This is good. Every instance of such an effect from exposure to the forest that we must cure with brain caps are, or mitigate with our own abilities. Uh, the illithid gestures to itself, implying it means the abilities of its kind, deprives another soldier of immediate treatment. It is unfortunate such blessings cannot be easily bestowed. The army plans to stagger their rests, as we understand it. This will decrease the number of cases we must deal with at a time. But there will be many cases to deal with, no matter what the soldiers do. If they must sleep in the forest, and I understand they must in order to avoid fatigue before battle, then this simply will be the case. Gent uh, says, Looks like whatever we plan to do, we should do sooner rather than later. Are there any other supplies or things you could have that may strengthen what you're able to do? The Illithid shakes its head. We have natural abilities, but we do not have methods of increasing those beyond our regular capacity. Luckily, your army came prepared with an ample supply of treated fungi they call brain caps to treat mental sickness in the troops. This supply is sure to diminish the longer this operation continues, so time is of the essence. We have impressed this on the commander, and he seems capable in the sort of rapid invasion tactics this situation will require. Gent says, then we'll probably head there next. The Elithid nods. Your army is acting under good intelligence. Commander Morgwar is all... Oh, there you go. Commander Morgwar. Morgwar was a commander too. Commander Morgar was already aware of the danger of prolonged exposure to the forest when we informed him. If nothing else, you have come prepared. Once the party is ready to head back into the field, they are directed from squad to squad of Draelic soldiers until they find Morgar. The orc dismisses the squad he is currently addressing and turns to the party, offering a casual salute. Glad to see you looking in better shape, agents. How did you sleep? And uh, Hex says, not great, but there's only one way to change that, I think. When, we do, when do we move out? And the orc frowns. Honestly, it's something I'm worried about. Not just for myself, but more for the troops. Our whole situation out here. I've uh, talked with the Mind Flayers and their projections for the percentage of soldiers that are going to flip out from sleeping here are not promising at all. Lucky for you, you've got other concerns. There's an air of sarcasm that suggests lucky for you is very much relative here. Phase two of this operation for your team is recon. Naturally, we've been observing the outpost at a distance. You'd think from looking at the map that this place would be nice and open for our scouts to scope out, but the whole place is a smog-belching industrial site that effectively creates its own smokescreen. Morgor points to Ashgrain Outpost, southwest from their current position. Over that way lies the northernmost the northernmost point of Ashgrain Outpost. It's a huge, chiseled-out chasm that digs down into the ground for hundreds of feet. The sides of the chasm are steep, but they're overgrown with forest, like Agalok is reaching into a wound in itself. On the off chance you slipped, you'd have plenty of chances to catch yourself. He shakes his head briefly. I mean, if you even needed to climb it. The point is... That chasm seems like the locals are done with it. Mind it dry, I suspect. That means there's no machinery or anything sending up smoke the damn thing. Which gives us, you specifically, in this case, a decent means of ingress. Morgwar looks over some of the squads of soldiers briefly, lost in thought, before clearing his throat and continuing. There are two spots where the chasm connects to the rest of the outpost that we need checked out. 
One is a gate that separates the chasm from the rest of the outpost. However, before that, there's a small collection of worker huts that seem to still be occupied by Azers. From a distance, it only seems there's a few of them hanging around, but there may be more in the huts or around the area. If it's manageable, I won't complain if you take them out, but know that you're only officially on duty to scout here. Either way, I need to know what we'd run into sending our troops through there. How tough does the gate seem? What is the security like and there and before it? That's it. Come back with your report and I'll have your last pre-battle objectives. Any questions? Connor lights up a briefing cigar. What's on the other side of the gate? Morgor responds, The rest of the outpost, a sprawling multi-level quarry or strip mine <laughs> dotted with factories and similar industrial sites. Our scouts are still ma mapping the place out, but the drow resistance you contact is helping on that front, so we're sending a scout after scout into the outpost, never to return. So so we aren't sending scout after the scout, post, scout into the outpost, never to return. Jen says, sounds ominous. And uh, I uh, included a little map that I created in Roll20. Oops. As you said all that, I was just thinking, a sprawling, multi-level dungeon. <laughs> Not really a dungeon, more like a battlescape. It's like a huge, it's going to be a huge battle. Oh man, you made this in Roll20. Yeah, that is my map of uh, Agalok with uh, Ashgrain Outpost marked. Uh, nice. And then the mantle below it, which is less detailed, of course... Uh, yeah. So, um, Hex says, On our way here, we bumped into a giant or two. No sign of larger threats in the worker huts? The Morgar responds, No, not in the skeleton crew that's been left between the chasm and the gate. Our intel regarding the local stone giants suggests things will be different beyond the gate. And, uh... So, um, I actually, uh, if we include this image on the, uh, supplemental materials, um, I specifically, what you see in that, uh, version of the map, they just have marked out, uh, there's an X marking the chasm and there's the tiny squares under that. Those are the worker huts, uh, the line between them and the chasm square, marks a drop-off point, and uh, the huts are at a higher elevation than the bottom of the chasm. From them, the trench continues at the same depth to the gate, so there's a big hole and a trench that comes to a sheer edge where it meets the hole. Following the trench the other way takes them to the gate. And uh, so really at this point, they only have to worry about like the top three squares of Ashgrain Outpost that they're being asked to scout out. Um, and I clarify like Morgwar is basically asking them to check out the back door, find out how tough it would be to break in from that point. So party's good to go. And uh, they carefully move through the forest on the edge of the Draelic army's camp, quietly and slowly approaching uh, and passing the tree line. The intel that the area beyond this point is effectively inactive is supported by the apparent absence of patrols on this end of the outpost. 
as they reach the edge of the outpost, that's also calling back to like the fact that they ran into a whole bunch of patrols on the way here. It's like, all right, well, this is the back door. Like the this area has been mined out. There's not going to be patrols like guarding it. Um, as they reach the edge of the outpost, they come to a massive cleft in the forest floor that defines Ashgrain Outpost proper. Just as Morgar described, vines and roots have laid themselves thick along the ground here, stretching down for hundreds of feet along the steep strip mine sides of the chasm. The chasm is roughly 600 feet deep, but the spot where it connects to the rest of the quarry-like area is slightly above its lowest point. Here, the land has been carved out to allow passage to a much bigger site which spews thick black smog into the air above it. The gate built across this passage looks like the door to a massive bunker with a roof made of toxic industrial smoke. Before that, however, a small cluster of workers' huts sits at the mouth of the passage just overlooking the edge of the chasm where it descends further to its true bottom. Everyone may roll perception with advantage using their tri-optics to scope out the huts and the deep trench that leads from the huts to the gate. And uh, so we got uh, Hex gets a 25, Connor gets a 13, and Jenk gets an unnatural 20. I say, sure enough, you spot a trio of Azur sitting around in the middle of the huts. A hellhound is lying on its belly nearby. Hex says, are they just, like, chilling? I say, they seem to just be sitting around, conversing maybe? And, uh, Alex goes, bar, bar, bar. Bar, 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 bar. Hex looks back at Connor and says... <laughs> So if we're on recon, we should try not to attract the attention of the uh, guards. And uh, he says, uh, so let's move quietly and slowly. I say, in fairness, Morgar said he wouldn't mind if you just wiped out this group, but it's possible there are more out of view, such as in the huts. And... Uh, Hex, after Hex like looks at Connor and says, so if we're on recon, we should try not to attract the attention of the guards. Jet says, what, you think he got better overnight? And uh, Jet, Connor goes, umberly take you both. I came prepared. And Connor casts enhance ability on himself, Cat's Grace. I say, oh, hell yes. So what's the plan for the big chasm? Going to climb the sides? It's basically video game climbing vines here for you but i know you mpoc agents got all the tricks and uh he uh hex or alex says i think that's our best course of action and jen says i agree how comfortable are you connor connor falls backwards as if he's doing the nesty plunge Ex inexplicably he lands on his feet without a sound and uh <laughs> jen or chantel says nest quick bunnied I say, he'd probably be, he's probably going to, to be great now, considering he's, it's going to be an acrobatics check. Everybody climbing down the chasm must make an acrobatics check. As Connor grabs the vines, he mutters a guidance at himself. So, uh, Gent gets 25, Hex gets 15, and Connor gets 21. Gent swings on a vine and grabs another. I say, you all slowly, carefully descend the chasm. 
find it relatively easy to find your footing as the sides of the chasm have clearly been worked away by countless miners forced to slave away at its walls. You can practically visualize the thousands of slaves lining the walls chiseling away and how the forest covered up the evidence of their toil over time when they were made to toil elsewhere. Uh, everyone is slowly and carefully moving except Gent, of course, who is, <laughs> Chantel says, somber environment, Gent trapezing. Eventually, they make their way, scaling the walls to the sheer drop where the trench of the outpost meets the chasm. Not far ahead, the huts with the Azar and their hellhound lie in wait. Hex gives Connor a hand signal of the OK sign over his eye. Connor scrunches his brow and gives a thumbs up back. Hex mimes holding a big gun. Connor pulls out his vicious spear. And I say, I imagine you guys just sort of hugging the wall of the chasm just on the edge of the trench beyond the huts. And uh, Connor says, we going to shoot instead of sneak? And I say, signaling to you, each other before you go over the top. Hex hisses, get the fucking sniper rifle out. Connor retrieves his anti-material rifle. And uh, Gent says, do I have a sniper rifle? And uh, Connor hands... Uh, <laughs> Jen, Connor goes to hand Jen an extra rifle. And uh, I say, Jen actually has one already. And so Gent uh, actually then <laughs> From the pulls last out time their... they asked this question. Yeah. But then Gent pulls out their bow and says, it's a bit more silent. And I say, can't argue with that. So what's the plan here? Uh, Alex says, Connor and Gent on Overwatch. Hex goes up and makes friends. I say, so I'm imagining Hex charges the huts and then Gent and Connor pop up from below the edge of the trench where it meets the cavern and prevent chasm and prevent provide covering fire. I say... All right, Hex will uh, definitely rage before taking before breaking cover, and uh, we have Gent take the first shot with surprise as Hex moves in, and, uh, and so we just have Gent and Hex roll stealth while Connor lays low until Hex enters the fray. Naturally, Gent gets like a twenty nine in stealth, and. Uh, it is dim dark, dim light, which is relevant because of uh, Hex's cloak of the bat, um, and uh, so unfortunately, though with his eighteen, uh, as he approaches, the hellhound sits up and begins sniffing the air. You know these uh, hellhounds—they got uh, keen senses. In moments, the thing is barking in Hex's direction. The Azar are slow to react, but one apparently has a keen eye and spots their approach once the dog has his attention. Uh, that said, Gent still gets a surprise round and aims for the Hellhound. <laughs> and then, out of character, I just realized in that moment, and this is probably relevant to the picture that I gave you, the map picture that we've been referencing, is that I'd drawn a line for the edge of the chasm meeting the trench, but I never clicked to finish drawing it. So I don't think it's even in that image. <laughs> so I made reference to a line that like wasn't there. Dangus Mangus. Um so uh Gent gets the whole surprise, sneak attack, everything. The barking hound howls suddenly as its right foreleg is struck with a bolt of shadow. Everyone rolls initiative. Uh, so yeah, then they get into like a little uh, fight with the 
uh, Azers that are camped out in these little huts. Um, I don't know if uh, there's too much uh, you want to know, except um, I will say that there were a lot more Azer inside these huts than there were outside. Hmm. And so it ends up being like quite a little battle where like they have to like as, when Hex moves in, he gets absolutely surrounded by uh, <laughs> Azer eventually. And uh, Gent holds back uh, providing range cover while Connor goes in and uh, I think starts providing like heals and whatnot. Seems like um, a good opportunity for uh, some Indiana Jones style action comedy. Where they take out the the enemies outside, and then was it Connor? Connor bursts through the tent flap and suddenly realizes there's way more in there. I mean, it was more like uh, you know they rushed the guys outside, and then suddenly all these guys start coming out of the huts, <laughs> and then they like rush at Hex, and then like. Connor and Jen are holding back as like range support and see like Hex just gets surrounded by flaming dwarves who like every time Hex hits them, he's going to take fire damage because they're on fire. And it's just like, <laughs> oh man, Connor, you got to get up there. You're the healer. And uh, so there it was. Um, but yeah, that is, uh, we broke midway through that combat. So I figure that's where we're going to break. Sure. Right on. Wading into uh, to the camp. Yeah. Tom, are you ready to go to outer space? No, oh, man, I guess. So, um, Notorious. I've been talking it up. Now that I have the product, I gotta give it a huge recommendation. Like, like I got this thinking it sounded pretty cool. I'm not even all the way through my first game yet, and already I've decided I gotta get the the expansion that we talked about, the Outsiders expansion that's being kickstarted right now. Like I need that, and uh, I should say I also picked up Bucket of Bolts, which uh, is another game that was. The, the designer of Notorious, this guy, uh, Jason Price, he contributed to Bucket of Bolts, but uh, he didn't create it himself. But Bucket of Bolts is a solo RPG where the game is creating a spaceship and generating a history for it. You know, detailing the different captains it had and just the, the, the adventures it had been on in the past. So I grabbed that as well, and uh, my plan... So did you make your ship? Did you make your ship for your notorious character in Bucket of Bolts? Not yet. My plan was to make my notorious character, have them go on their first contract, and then the ship that I would eventually generate was going to belong to their target. They're going to kill their target and inherit the target's ship. And then I was going to hop over to Bucket of Bolts and generate the ship that way. But it didn't go down the way I planned. Uh, I'm still going to use Bucket of Bolts to generate a ship. But the way I came to have this ship was not by killing my target. And uh, something that I really like about this, this game, not only is it just fun to play... And uh, as we said, it involves journaling. So I went and I bought a brand new spiral notebook 
to chart my notorious game. And uh, I'm just loving that it creates this sort of documented record of the entire story. Um, unlike something like a campaign log, where with a campaign log for a, a D&D campaign, I just always sort of do the broad strokes of what happened, you know, bullet points, just so that everybody remembers what went on. But with Notorious, uh, because I can just sort of take my time, I'm fleshing it out. Like, I'm really sort of filling in details of this story and, and really enjoying just doodling in a notebook. It's been, like, literally years since I just sat down with a pencil and a piece of paper and did some doodling. So it's really nice to... Not me! I've been doing that all the time. See, I I'm always I, doodling. I'm always writing things in notebooks. See, I do it all on the computer. You know, even even my doodling, I usually do it with a tablet or a mouse. So uh, yeah, I am doing like more on the computer, honestly, just because like, you know, sometimes well, some every, things are just easier to have and drive. Yeah, every everything's everything's there, and uh, especially if I'm gonna be making you know, doodling stuff for uh, for an RPG that I'm running, then I'll want it in digital form so that I can plug it into Roll20 or, or email it to my players or whatever. So uh, it's just nice to actually have like a physical pen and paper and a notebook and, and index cards and things to build this campaign that I'm going on. And uh, I'll, st I'll start by showing you my Nomad. Of course, the first part of uh, Notorious is you generate your nomad who's a, a bounty an intergalactic bounty hunter and I will say you know I, I mentioned that uh, it's obviously quite inspired by like Star Wars and the Mandalorian I, I would say more than inspired by like this is just like like change the names of some things so uh, for as an example uh, my first uh, employer is the Targ cartel and the Targs are giant slug creatures. They're just huts. They're huts. Like there's cool. Yep. Totally fine. So um, are there other options for that, or are they always? Is it always the Targ Collective? Uh, there are loads of options for it. Uh, different factions, um, and you generate all of these things randomly. So maybe maybe the thing to do, and you can you can choose stuff if you want. I just went with the uh, the the randomized tables. Because uh, I wanted to quite literally roll with it, but there's there's loads of flexibility in this game. So you randomly ended up with the huts. Yes. It's not like yeah. written to be the huts that you work for. Yeah, exactly. I randomly uh, wound up with the the huts as my clients for this contract, and the next contract I will roll a, a totally different faction. Uh, the six factions are the old empire, which is just like the Galactic Empire from Star Wars. The New Uprising, again, they're sort of the Rebellion. The Targ Cartel are the Huts, And then uh, there are some here, uh, Red Moon Syndicate. I'm not sure who there's, if they have like a Star Wars counterpart, but they're, they're like a crime organization, like the Space Mafia. And then uh, the Trade Alliance and then the Mystic Order are basically the Jedi. Um, mm. So those are the different factions who can potentially hire you, and uh, you. So it is basically Star Wars. Sorry. So it is basically Star Wars. Yeah, it's it's very much like a Star Warsy setting, but uh, the the game itself is 
really it's just like the first season of the Mandalorian where it's these little like standalone adventures that have that flavor, but they're not like married to the Star Wars lore or anything. Um, so let me tell you a bit about the, the nomad that I, I rolled up. Um, you roll on a table to choose your profile out of six different options. The armor, the assassin, the bot, the brute, the scoundrel, and the uncanny. Uh, the armor is the Mandalorian. The, everything is about your cool armor. You generate a backstory for your cool armor. Um, the assassin, exactly as it says, you're a trained assassin. The bot, you're a droid. The brute, you're like a big brawler guy. Uh, the scoundrel is sort of the cocky Han Solo type, which is what I wound up rolling. And then the uncanny is like a really weird alien creature, you know, something, something really unusual. Um, it says here, your unusual look and esoteric techniques hide a unique talent, belief, or genetic trait that gives you an edge. Um, so I got the scoundrel, and then uh, much like something like Blades in the Dark with playbooks, each of these profiles has a dedicated page to talk, it, like gives you your, your built-in loadout. My scoundrel has two laser pistols, a stun baton, and then dresses like a cowboy with a wide-brimmed hat, a thigh holster, and a duster coat. Um, each profile page also gives you tables to roll on to generate your origin, your scar, which is, you know, some, like, trait that they have that's uh, evidence of a past encounter, and then a, a trigger, which is uh, something that they did in the past that haunts them or something that happened to them in the past that haunts them. Are those shared? Are are the the trigger and the scar? Are those for all nomads, or are those just for the scoundrel? All nomads get an origin, a scar, and a trigger. But each nomad profile has different uh, items in the tables that you roll for each of those. Nice. Um, so, uh, oh, and I should also say I rolled. Uh, there are even tables for generating your species and your personality. So I rolled on the species table, and I got Taloc. Uh, the Talocs are reptilians. They're Bosque-type creatures. And nice. uh, you can pick whatever name you want, but just because this was my first playthrough, I went with one of the names on the Taloc sample list. So my, uh, my guy is, my nomad is a scoundrel named Nas Grask. And nice. uh, I'm, it asks you... When you're Grask, you scoundrel. Yeah, and then it, it asks you, uh, oh, well, here. the So I'm Nas Grask, the Taloc, the reptilian nomad. I'm a scoundrel, and uh, you can roll on the personality table as well. Um, all of these rolls are done with D6s. And uh, I got, that, I got uh, aloof, sarcastic, or rude. And you pick two. So I said that my guy is is kind of aloof and kind of sarcastic. And then it asks you, uh, you pick one of these two questions about your personality to answer, which is, what stuffy formality do they insist on enforcing? Or what unusual item of clothing marks them out? So uh, I decided that Nas Grask, uh, he's a reptilian who has a chameleon-like appearance, including chameleon vision, where his eyes can look in different directions. And that's part of what makes him such a good hunter. And then his trademark item of clothing is that he further enhances his vision with multi-optic goggles. 
And I thought it was going to be a monocle, but uh, anyway. No, it's multi-optic goggles, and then I drew him, so here he is. Whoa. He's right sure. here. There's Nasgrask. Hey, check it out. It's Nasgrask. Yeah, it's kind of a bosk in a duster coat kind of a thing. His origin is that he was raised and mentored from birth by the infamous nomad Kel Woe, but Kel Woe has gone missing. So maybe a grander story I'll explore is trying to track down Kel Woe. His, and that's all randomly generated too? Yeah, that's one of the options um, for origin. Uh, for his scar, I I rolled on the scar table and he had, his left hand is a cybernetic hand. And uh, it says here it was cut off by a gangster. And, oh, shit. And then his trigger is that he failed to pull the trigger uh, at a key moment and it would have saved hundreds of lives, but he choked. So he's haunted by the death of, of all the innocence that he could have prevented. And uh, then it, and it, it gives you a loadout, as I said. Um, your target. Yeah, and it gives you a loadout. Uh, each of your items gives you a bonus to your attack, whether it's a ranged attack or a stun attack, or a, sorry, a melee attack. My melee is a stun baton. Um, and then your outfit gives you a number of defense, a bonus to your defense. So I have a plus one to my defense. And the way that works is that if the enemy gets a successful hit against you, the plus one to defense means you get like a freebie. The first hit doesn't count. Um, and the enemies you encounter will also have combat bonuses and defense bonuses for if you fight them. Uh, after you build your, uh, your nomad, you then build your contract. And so my contract, uh, again, all of these things uh, done by rolling on different tables. My contract... Uh, was is a Kimano race. The Kimanos are amphibians. They're amphibian creatures. And his name is Mako Suds. And uh, so here's the picture of Mako Suds, the amphibian. My first contract, I made him into a, a four-eyed alien frogman. And uh, So what do you got to do with Mako Suds? Well, I got to capture him... Because he released, he he set loose the pet of the notorious gangster Scab the Targ. And so Scab's pet is missing and he wants Mako's head as payment. Um, so the Targ cartel hired me. Uh, a fun part of the, uh, the contract generating process is that just like with the Nomad, you also roll on the personality table, and then it says, uh, mark down how that personality trait would be described by your employer. So for example, uh, I, I rolled up that Mako Sides is argumentative and loud, but my employer just says he's extremely difficult. And the, uh -huh. the last part of the setup is that you then roll on a table to generate the planet that your target is supposedly hanging out on. So I rolled up 
the planet Osiran, or Osiran, which is a verdant planet with jungles, plains, islands, and swamps. And uh, each planet has like a little chart in the source book that lists six major destinations, uh, three predominant species, and then three factions that you find on the planet. One that controls, one that's challenging the controlling faction, and then a minor faction. And in this case, on Osiron, the uh, Targ Cartel is the minor faction. So mm. with all that in mind... Got a little bit of reach. Yeah. So with all that set, it was time for me to begin pursuing my target, begin my adventure. And uh, I charted this out in terms of days. My, my rule for the journal that I was creating is if I myself take a break and come back to it the following day, that marks a day in game time that's passed. And also if my character gets incapacitated, uh, then that when they wake up, that also marks another day of game time. And uh, the gameplay loop of this is very straightforward. And again, it's just rolling on more tables. Um, and uh, I should say that the game uses 2d6, and it's a good idea to have two different colors. 1d6 is like yours, and then the other d6 is used when you're uh, in a like attacking you know, an NPC or something, the other die rolls for the NPC. And uh, sometimes you use one or both dice to roll on tables. And the gameplay loop is first you roll on the exploration table. Uh, that will prompt you whether or not you need to roll on one of the exploration events table, and that generates a whole encounter. Uh, and then after you go through the full encounter, you roll on the destination table to figure out where you're where you wind up next and that in turn might also come with some destination events and after you've completed the destination events you return to exploration and you do it all again something i didn't mention that is important is that you have three stats for your nomad but they're really more like scores uh favor notoriety and motivation favor uh, is basically how much how much sway you have with the factions on the planet you're on. Uh, notoriety is of course how like notorious and well known you are to the local authorities. And then motivation is the only one that you can actually spend points of. You gain motivation as the game goes on, and you can spend motivation to re-roll a die in any encounter, which means that if you're fighting an enemy, you can use a motivation to re-roll the enemy's attack against you if they scored really high. But you gotta Man, go... I wish I could gain motivation. <laughs> but you gotta go with the second roll if you use the motivation, and you can spend as much motivation as you've accumulated. So you can, like, if you've maxed out your six points of motivation, you can just use them all to try and, and win that encounter. And, uh, so the gameplay loop is exploration, an exploration event, destination, and then a destination event, and then you repeat it over and over. And what I think is really clever about the way this game progresses is as you have encounters, your scores will go up. And the main one uh, is notoriety. Because the higher your notoriety gets, the more likely you are to trigger a lead. And what a lead is, is a person who's associated with your target. When you trigger meeting a lead, 
you go through this whole, you know, more tables to roll on to generate a showdown with the lead. And it ends, you know, maybe they get away. Maybe they succeed in, like, they best you in combat. Maybe you best them. You could kill them. You could spare their life. All of these different outcomes have different effects on you, usually with your scores going up or down. Like, you lose one favor. You lose one motivation. Or, you know, you let them go. Uh, you lose some notoriety. But you gain favor. Things like that. And then the third time you encounter a lead, it's your target. And you generate a big showdown with your target and then resolve it. And if you beat them, there's one final section where you generate an epilogue to the story. So that's how the game progresses. So, uh, but if, if you don't beat them, you like... If you don't beat them, if you, if you fail in combat, uh, one of a few things can happen. Let me just pull it up here. So um, as far as the gameplay goes... You have four different things that your character can do. You can, they're called reactions. They are speak, threaten, attack, and recruit. And there's a chart that explains like who you can do each of these actions to. For example, uh, just some local, you are not allowed to threaten or attack them. But you can use the speak reaction to them. But hostile, for example, uh, or your target, your target you can speak to can't threaten them, you can attack them, you can't recruit them. Um, so in when you're doing an attack action, when you're in combat, if you fail after exhausting your defense and your motivation, like you've completely failed, there's no way for you to win, you roll a die. Uh, and the chart is, has three different options. So you fail, you can choose whether to die and end the game, or get badly beaten up, leading to an injury or some damage to your equipment. You gain either a minus one to attack or minus one to defense for the rest of the game. Option two is local law enforcement somehow interrupt the fight just as your opponent prepares to deliver a decisive blow. They leave or escape. You lose one notoriety. And finally, you flee from the confrontation and hide somewhere unusual. You lose one notoriety or one favor. So those are the options. And it's up, I mean, I like that they say, like, you can die, but it's up to you whether you decide if you want your guy to die, and then you start anew with a new nomad, or you can keep going and he just gets a penalty like an injury. My, my question, though, is, like, if I am in my fight with my target and then I get taken out and I decide to go out with the injury, does that reset my, like, lead to target chain? Yes, Yes, if the oh, target okay. gets if the target gets away, you basically start anew, uh, and you have to build up your notoriety by having encounters and things. And you know what? Not to spoil it, but that's what happened with me. Um, ah. So rather than like go through, I did I did four journal days, uh, amounting to a total of let me see here, one, two, three, four, five six, seven pages in, in the book. Um, but I'll just hit upon some key points. Um, and what I, what I like about this too is uh, there are two ways of playing described in the book. There's arcade mode and story mode, they call them. Arcade mode is like literally just copying down, copying down what's in the chart, just giving you like the most basic information. 
and then story mode is flesh it out as much as you want to actually make it a story. So I, I did my best to flesh it out a little bit. Um, for example, I set out out of my town and I was immediately encircled by a hoverbike gang. Their leader, named Nedge, recognized me as the nomad who killed his brother and he wanted to fight me. So, uh, the, the, what I got was I got an exploration event that said, uh, you catch the attention of a hoverbike gang who ride up at, at speed and encircle you, roll a die. I rolled a die and on the, the subsequent table it said their leader is hostile and fights in melee with a plus two to fight and a plus one to defense. What tall tale did the gang spread about your encounter? So I had the fight. I beat Nedge. Uh, I should say I just made up the name Nedge for him. I found some Star Wars name generators online. So I just, to fill in any details, I use random generators. So I beat Nedge. Uh, when you beat an opponent in a fight, you have the... But you could have theoretically, like, rolled, like, to generate a species for him and then looked at the species name table, right? Yeah, you could do that. And, uh, I mean, the planet profile even tells you what the dominant species are. So you could uh, pick a species that is, like, a native to that planet. You could, you know, choose from the, the name charts if you want. The game only really recommends doing that for your target and your leads because they're like the major NPCs that should have fleshed out personalities. But you have the option of doing it whenever you like. Um, but I just used the Star Wars name generator. When you win in a fight, you have the option to kill your, your enemy or spare them. And you get different bonuses depending on, you know, if you kill them, you get notoriety. And if you spare them, I believe you get favor. And, uh, but I decided that, that Nass is ruthless. So this guy shows up and he says, you killed my brother. Uh, I'm going to kill you now. But no, I got the upper hand. I killed Nedge. I shot him right in the head. And then the tall tale that the surviving gang members tell are of the strange and nomadic Talok who ended Nedge Harris's family line completely by killing Nedge and his brother. There will be no more of his family line. Brutal. So that was my first exploration encounter. And then I did a destination. So, uh, and again, I found a, a name generator for Star Wars city names. So I wound up in a small town called Ball Farm. But as I arrived, I found all the locals in a panic because there was a sandstorm approaching. And so I took, sh in, the, in the encounter, uh, let me see if I can find the exact text here. Yes, uh, the environment here has become more dangerous than usual. The locals gesture at you to seek shelter immediately. Choose one. Do you help the locals battle the elements to gain one notoriety but lose one favor? And then it asks, how do you put your skills to use in helping them prepare? Or do you ignore the locals and find your own makeshift shelter to gain one motivation? Where do you hunker down and what do you see when you emerge? I went for that one. Nass is kind of selfish. So I sheltered in my astro bivouac and emerged to find Ball Farm almost entirely buried in sand. And then the, the, the gameplay loop continues from there. I go back to exploration. I roll on the exploration table. I roll on some exploration events. And I'll just give some broad strokes here. So next I was accosted by two old Empire scouts in a hover car. 
Um, I tried to threaten them. I told them to kiss my scaly ass, but my threat didn't work. So then I had to fight them and I continued on my merciless killing spree. I killed them both. Uh, and then I got the hell out of there. I stopped at a new uprising spaceport and learned that there was a mystic mentor, a reclusive mystic living in the mountains nearby. So I sought her out for help in scrying to find my target. And uh, I rolled on a table and it said that despite her reputation, she allowed me to enter her modest home and uh, she helped me scry for the target. It gave me the option of trying to recruit her as an ally. You can gain allies, they're called assets, and assets provide like passive bonuses or special things. I do get an asset later on, but the mystic... So you met this mystic, but didn't you have like a mystic in your backstory? Uh, did I have a mystic in my backstory? Uh, Whoa. no, I had a nomad in my backstory. The guy... Nomad, right? Oh, no, no, you're right. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, I had a nomad in my backstory. Did I have a mystic? My hand was cut off by a gangster. No, I don't think I had a mystic in my backstory. But the nomad, like, Quo Len or whatever. Uh, Kel Wo, yeah. Was, Kel was my mentor. Um... But I didn't, I didn't bring Kelwo into it yet. I just asked this okay. mystic to help me find my target. And she did, but she decided not to come with me. So then I headed off. Um, let's see here. I came upon a village. Uh, oh, a neat encounter was I found uh, a statue buried in the sand, uh, half buried in the sand, depicting a monstrous warlord and uh, there was a broken dagger lying beside the statue. And when I picked it up, I experienced a startling vision of the warlord's life of bloody, violent conquest. And this made me reflect upon my own actions. And I decided maybe, maybe I've shed enough blood. Maybe from now on, I should try to capture people rather than killing them. But then you were encircled by another hoverbike gang. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't, actually. Uh, I arrived at a new uprising spaceport, and uh, on my way into the cantina, I, I ran into another nomad who I had met before, uh, but thankfully the tables said that we were friendly, and so we just sort of gave each other a nod before going our separate ways. And then uh, the landscape, which at this point had been a desert, was starting to transform into rocky badlands, and my destination event that I rolled said that I had to meet up with uh, a beast herder of some kind. And so I, I, had, I decided that the, the in-game reason for this was I needed a mount to traverse the rocky terrain. And uh, I, I, once again, I found an alien species name generator online uh, to generate a pack animal. Uh, I found a, uh, a beast herder named Panna, who maintained a stable of gurns. The gurns are like a cross between a goat and a camel. So they're really adept at climbing and navigating uneven terrain, and they can be ridden for long distances without needing rest. Uh, and I hit it off with Panna, the beast herder, and he, gave, he liked me, so he gave me a deal on the gurn, and then I successfully recruited him to be my asset. When you recruit... Uh, an NPC, there is a table that you roll on, of course. It's all tables. Uh, and the table 
determines what the uh, what like purpose they serve. And I I rolled and I got that Panna, in addition to being a beast herder, was a healer. And the bonus when you have a healer for an asset is that if you lose a fight, rather than rolling to determine your fate, you instead just wake up in a tank of gelatinous liquid in a destination being tended to by a med bot and you lose one favor or one notoriety. Oh, so uh, so now Nass is not going to be killed. If he's bested in a fight, he just respawns in the nearest medical facility. Um, and so I bought a Gurn, and then that was late last night, and so I decided I'm calling it a night, and I, I, I bought my mount, made a friend, and then stayed the night at the spaceport. And uh, then this morning I rushed to continue because I wanted to try and complete a full playthrough for the show. Um, so Panna and I went out at dawn. Uh, we set out into the Badlands, navigating through a canyon. We came across a scrap crawler, like a Jawa sand crawler, coming the other way. And we stopped to barter for goods. Uh, we rounded a curve in the canyon and it opened onto a vast plain and then in the near distance we spotted the smoldering wreck of a gigantic crashed starship. And uh, this is another thing just generated by the campaign events or the, uh, the exploration events. And uh, it had the additional hitch uh, that said that uh, a, uh, some kind of machine or system associated with the wreck turns on and then uh it just like it's a it's an annoyance for you it doesn't specify in what way it gets in your way so i had it be that as we approached the wreckage of the spaceship an automatic security system activated and closed all of the doors so we couldn't immediately get inside and then continuing uh to roll on the exploration events at this point i had gained enough notoriety to hit my first lead so I searched the area for an alternate entrance, and I discovered an escape pod in a crater a short ways away. I pulled open the hatch, and I found a human inside, and this is when I generated my first lead, and you do it the same way that you do your nomad and your contract, where you roll on species, personality, and a few key, uh, key details. So uh, I recognized the guy inside. Uh, it was a smuggler called Eli Jock. And Eli, Jock, and I had worked two years prior on a job to hijack a shipment of Imperial weapons and sell them to the new uprising. But Eli sold me out to gangsters uh, who showed up and thwarted the hijacking, taking the shipment for themselves. I barely escaped, uh, only to fall into the clutches... Uh, or, sorry, I barely escaped, uh, but... Eli, uh, Eli got away with it. However, it, it says in the rules that uh, something about him has changed. So I said, now he has a big scar on his face, evidence that he's continued getting into trouble. And then as this encounter goes on, it filled in a key detail, which was that um, it was when I was, uh, when my, when the hijacking was thwarted by the gangsters, uh, they captured me, and to escape, I cut off my left hand to escape their. This is what I kept waiting their handcuffs. for. Is like, is this is this how the hand thing happened? That's right. So it was all because of Eli. 
Um, and then it, it says, uh, you got to speak to him. So I said, Eli, you're looking better than ever. I see your luck continues to be shit, though. Hands to the stars. And I pulled out my, my blaster. And in response, he charged me. And it said that he fought with melee. And I got to tell you, my the scoundrel way better at ranged because I kept losing my melee uh, my melee encounters. So damn, even with a stun baton. Even with a stun baton, because this guy Eli he had a plus three to hit, and my stun baton only gave me plus two on the first attack, and then plus one on subsequent attacks. So I'm going up against a guy with plus three to hit, and he had two defense, whereas I only had one. So he won. He bested me. He knocks me to the ground, bashes my head with a rock, and I black out. But of course, as we just learned, uh, I woke up in a gel tank in a nearby enclave called Kirkonia, uh, being tended to by a medbot. I don't know how long I was out, but it was long enough that Panna had moved on. So, I mean, I still get the bonus, but my, my sidekick is no longer with me. Uh, so, you were just, so you're not going to get it again? No, no, I still get it. I just, for the purposes of the story, uh, Panna is no longer by my side. But I still have, oh, so I still have him as an asset. You mark it, you'd like check off a box on your character sheet. So you can still come back from the next fight just in a tank of gelatin? Yeah, that's right. But remember, each time I, I do, I lose one favor or one notoriety. And let me tell you, I think I kept picking wrong. Because I kept losing one favor thinking, but I'm so close to to get in my target. I'm now in the game, in the part of the game where my notoriety score is going to result in me confronting my target. I already had one lead. I only need one more lead encounter. And then I, I catch up with Mako, but I actually think that I should have dropped my notoriety and built my character up more doing more events because here's what happened the next day. So, uh, then I emerged Healed from the, the hospital, I had because Panna was a beast herder, I had it be that uh, he keeps dropping me off at, like, animal clinics <laughs> that are around. So, uh, I... The vet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I emerge healed from the animal hospital, and I spotted... I'm at a spaceport. Uh, so, I spotted someone boarding a spaceship who appeared at a distance to be my target, Mako Suds. Uh, the sun is setting... Uh, as night closes in, the temperature is dropping to dangerous levels, so I have to act quickly. But I was wrong. It wasn't Mako. It was actually a crystalline uh, alien. The species is a pellucid named Aura Day. Uh, and her personality is that she's extremely nervous and skittish. And she's right to be nervous because the next thing I generated was that I recognized her as one of Mako's accomplices working for the Targ cartel as like an inside agent. Um, something's going on where Mako is like trying to screw over the Targs and he's got someone on the inside. So I had to be careful because her trademark attack was impaling foes with jagged crystal fingers. So... Um, Again, you're supposed to talk to her. I just said, tell me where Mako is and I'll let you go. But she wasn't interested and she attacked me and she got me too. Yikes. This is what I'm saying. Like, I just, I rolled pretty badly on this one. But again, she's attacking with melee. Had it been ranged, I would have had this no problem. And I really should have been dropping my favor instead of my notoriety. I should have been beefing up my, my motivation more. The first time I went into a, an encounter 
where I need to use motivation. I only had four motivation, and then I didn't have a chance to replenish my motivation before getting into another one. So you don't have the option to engage the target at the range you prefer. Sometimes you do, but in this case, I didn't. Uh, Let me find an example in the tables here. It specifies whether or not... uh, whether or not uh, they fight a specific way. Um, well, for example, remember the um, the hover bikers. It says right here, their leader is hostile and fights in melee. So I had to fight that guy in melee. Thankfully, he didn't have a lot of bonuses in my first encounter. Um, whereas, for example, the uh, the hostile scouts from the old empire who gave me a hard time, they it said with their encounter... They notice you and dismount to ask a few questions, but they have a plus one to attack. Why do you get the sense they're just bored and looking for trouble? So that one says, like, you can attack them, uh, and this is their attack bonus, but it doesn't specify melee or range. So with them, I went with ranged, and it was, like, no problem at all. But uh, all my leads were fighting with melee, not my strong suit, and so once again, I lost. I lost against Aura Day, Mako's uh, accomplice, like I barely even left the hospital and she got me. And then uh, I say here, I watch as Aura's ship takes off, leaving me freezing on the landing pad. And then I woke up in the gel tank once again. And and again, I made the mistake of dropping my favor, not my notoriety. So, of course, the very next thing that happened was I triggered my third lead. Time for an encounter with my target right away without even replenishing my motivation. I'm going to do this. Going to do this differently. Um, But this was it. This was the final showdown. And the setup for it was similar to the one I just did where I I spot Mako. I. like loading cargo onto a ship and he's about to take off it's nighttime now so i have the advantage of stealth uh it it doesn't mean anything in game terms it just means like for the purpose of the story i I approach stealthily um and uh but and what's what's fun about this is like you can see it in my notes where i've got like my little chunks of text and you can see where like the dynamic changes as I roll up some new information. So it's like, oh yeah, okay, Mako's getting onto the onto a ship, great. Uh, I approach stealthily, moving from shadow to shadow across the landing platform, and then I generate the next part of the story, and it goes, oh shoot, he's a member of the Mystic Order, the Jedi. He's a Jedi. So oh my, God. my stealth was pointless. As I neared Mako's position, it was clear that he sensed my presence. Uh, could he be a member of the Mystic Order? My suspicion was confirmed when he drew, and uh, the 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 rule book says a tra- like a distinct glowing weapon. So I decided rather than go full lightsaber on this one, uh, the Mystic Order fights with glowing staffs called beacon staffs. So uh, my suspicion was confirmed when he drew a glowing staff, the trademark weapon of the Mystic Order. I emerged from hiding, guns drawn. And then uh, it said, you got to have your little confrontation, like you speak to your target. So I wrote like a tiny little back and forth here. I said, drop it, Mako. Scab has a bounty on you, and I've already shed enough blood trying to find you. Come peacefully. I'd rather not spill more. And then Mako said, do you have any idea what Scab is really up to? When he's not betting on races or getting drunk, he traffics in stolen bought slaves. 
This transport is full of bots, and I couldn't have gotten them out without Scab being distracted by his missing pet. Now, a key thing, though, about Notorious is that early on they say, like, you're, you're like the Mandalorian. You know, the, the contract comes first. You're not supposed to have a moral compass on this one. So Nas goes, well, these, I, these aren't my problems. Come with me now, and maybe I'll let the ship go. And Mako goes, well, I can't take that chance. And he engaged me in combat. And I could have taken him. He got a plus two to his melee attack and a plus three to defense. But I rolled really badly. So there was a lot of back and forth. I went through all my motivation. Uh, the roll, the dice were just not in my favor. And so between Mako's mystic abilities and his skill with the beacon staff, I was no match. I only landed a single blow with my stun baton before being pummeled by his staff in telekinetic strikes. Once again beaten and bloody, left freezing on the Kirkoria landing platform, I watched Mako's ship fly away into the night. My last thought before slipping into unconsciousness was how I'd need a ship of my own if I was going to pursue him. This wasn't over, not by a long shot. So that's where, uh, basically, that's where my first contract adventure that I, I rolled up ended. But now what I'm going to do is I'm going to port over to Bucket of Bolts. My guy's going to buy a ship. And then if you want to continue, if your nomad didn't die you basically reset everything except your target. So I'm still going to be after Mako Suds, but I reset my stats and I generate a new planet where I pursue him to. And then I proceed with the gameplay loop. Uh, so that's where I'm going to go from here. And I'm just having a blast. This is super fun. It's really fun to just like get in a little bit, you know, uh, between things or like while you're waiting for something. Similar to those solo card games I've been talking up. And uh, Tom, here, just for a quick sample, um, why don't you, let's roll uh, a, an exploration encounter. Uh, okay, so d6. Roll a d6. Three. So it says here, if your notoriety is five or higher, you encounter a lead. Otherwise, roll once on the exploration events table. So that's what we're going to do. And I should say there are actually three exploration events tables. So first, roll a d6 to determine which one we use. Two. Okay, so we're using the, the first of the three. And then roll the d6 again. Four. A speeding vehicle appears out of nowhere, and two hostiles who work for a powerful crime boss leap out to confront you. Roll a die. Ah. Five. They're, they're masked humans that have plus one to attack and plus one to defense. What do their masks look like, and where have you seen them before? Do I roll for that, or do you I You make, make it, it up. up. Oh, man. Uh, their masks look like uh, uh, they've got horns, like goat horns, and they're silver uh silver masks with goat horns like a curl of ram's horns and uh i've seen them they uh they're they're the security at the local casino hey cool okay so there you go like there's your first uh your first encounter note all that down in your journal um it does not say here that they attack. It just says they confront you. 
So you have the option of you can attack them if you want using ranged or melee, but because they're hostiles and they haven't attacked you first, you can consult the reaction table and you have the option of trying to threaten them as well. And let me just tell you what threatening does. So a nomad's reputation often precedes them. A subtle movement, confident attitude, or menacing stare may be all they need. You may try to threaten any hostiles you meet to warn them off without resorting to violence. Uh, when you, you roll the two dice the same way you would in combat, one die for your nomad, one for your NPC, uh, but instead of adding a combat bonus to your roll, to the nomad die, you add half your notoriety rounded up. So the more infamous you are, the better you are at threatening. If you succeed, the hostile backs down, no longer an immediate threat. You roll on the threat neutralize table. After a few terse words, they leave or move aside, allowing you to continue on your way. Or if you fail, you're not as scary as you thought. The hostiles start a fight with you. Resolve the attack reaction and add one to the challenge die on the first roll. The challenge die is the die for the NPCs. And that's what happened to me with those old Empire scouts. I tried to threaten them by saying, kiss my scaly ass, but I failed. I wasn't as scary as I thought, and so I had to fight them instead. But let's say you threaten these guys. Uh, you have a notoriety of four, so you add plus... Give them a menacing glare. Yeah, so you'd add plus two. You give them a menacing glare. Your threat is neutralized. Roll a d6. Oh, so we're just going to say that I did yeah, it? Yeah, we'll say you did it. I did I did roll a four against their one, so... There you go. Yeah, take that. Threat neutralized. Oh, I got a one. So a nomad killed somebody they loved... Who was taken from them? Were they a target or simply collateral damage? So the reason that they were after you in the first place, that they were confrontational, is they got beef against the Nomads Guild. And then you can fill in the details on who a nomad killed. Uh, were they a target or simply collateral damage? Uh, I should note, too, that... Uh, that I inadvertently kind of filled in those details with that biker gang. Uh, they attacked me straight up, but I still had it be that... I had killed the leader's brother. Uh, ah. So this is how Notorious works. And I'm loving it, man. I'm really just enjoying the hell out of this. Uh, super fun. Really easy to pick up and do in little bursts. I love the the journal that I'm generating here with, you know, my little doodles in it and the, the log of my exploits. I'm excited to get into Bucket of Bolts next and generate a ship. I guess I'll talk about that on our next episode. But yeah, big ups to Notorious. And you can bet that the, like, last time we recorded, I said, as soon as I'm done, I'm picking up Notorious. Well, as soon as we're done here today, I'm going to go back the Kickstarter for the Outsiders expansion. Because if you do, you get a, a discount on it when it releases in December so that I can keep playing. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Notoriousonitch.io. All right, Tom. We teased it. You ready for RPG news? Yeah, I guess. Oh, man, oh, man. pretty long. Well, I'll keep this quick. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the RPG from Palladium, is back. It's back from Palladium? From Palladium. The beloved, out-of-print, TMNT role-playing game and its source books 
are returning to print as two deluxe hardcover collections of the RPG and source books completely remastered, presented in full color, and Kevin Eastman, creator of TMNT, will provide a new painted cover. Um, bonus materials include an array of new artwork, never before behind the scenes info and art, tributes, comic books, etc. This is incredibly exciting. I'm a thousand percent on board to bring this historic and original TMNT role-playing game series back, says Kevin Eastman. And yeah, it's being done by Palladium Books. And here's, here's the rabbit hole. So I found this and I went, no effing way. TMNT the RPG is back. Uh, and Palladium is printing it. That's wild. Well, they're doing a Kickstarter for it. The Kickstarter is launching on Halloween. But here's the rabbit hole, Tom. Palladium Books has a Kickstarter account. So I looked at their past projects. They only have two. You know what they are? What? In 2013, they, uh, they printed a new Robotech RPG Tactics strategy battle game. An expansion from the, the Palladium role-playing game. That was their first Kickstarter right. in 2013. But more recently, like really recently, as in earlier this year, they did a Kickstarter for a new Rifts supplement. Rifts. Okay. Rift, what is it? Rifts lives again in Titan Robotics. A new supplement uh, adding new ways to play featuring androids, advanced weapons, power armor, robot vehicles, and conspiracies. Man, it was right under our noses. Rifts, they're doing more Rifts stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess uh, Rifts is back. I like this funded in five hours for this Rifts book. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, and like... Funded in five hours, it's not an insignificant amount. They made over 90 grand with their Kickstarter. I, uh... So that's, that's the RPG news. Palladium is back in some form. They're bringing back the Ninja Turtles RPG that uh, was like a, a founding, like a, a cornerstone of their RPGs back in the day. And then they've also been making new stuff for Robotech and Rifts, unbeknownst to me. It's just wild, man. It's wild. I looked at the... Uh, there's a video. Well, there are videos for, for both of these. And um, I looked up... I looked at these videos, hoping that Kevin Simbito would be in them, but he's not. <laughs> okay, now I... I thought I had maybe heard something about this, but like, um, basically, I'm pretty sure the 2013 Robotech thing was like a total bust. Was it? Like, uh, on April 18th, 2013, Palladium Books initiated. A, this is from Wikipedia. Initiated a Kickstarter campaign to raise seventy thousand dollars needed to develop a new wargaming system. Robotech RPG Tactics campaign raised uh, $1,442,312 yeah. 
the funded game was scheduled to ship on December 2013, but was eventually delayed. As of September 2014, the game had begun to be shipped, with Wave 1 shipping expected to continue through fall. Partial delivery of the Kickstarter rewards had been in progress since third quarter 2014 through first quarter. Um, basically, this ends with it saying... On, 20, on the February 28th, 2018, it was announced that Robotech RPG Tactics Wave 2 rewards would not be realized and that Palladium's license has expired and is not being renewed. Yep, <laughs> and that's the final update on it. Uh, man, here, let me just read a little blurb here. So the final update on that Kickstarter now that I look closer. Uh, the RRT reward exchange ended April 28th, 2018. We're sorry, but it's too late to request your reward exchange now. <laughs> this is them just shutting it down. And then, uh, oh man, the comments are so... Wow, you people are scummy. It's been almost a decade since I backed this disaster. Still haven't gotten what you owe me. You lost a customer forever after this shit. <laughs> You're thieves. Um, rats. This Kickstarter are a fail. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so partial delivery of the Kickstarter rewards had been in progress since third quarter 2014 through first quarter 2015. Despite all claims and given the history so far of Palladium books regarding delivery dates, there had been no real evidence shown of any progress on the rest of the miniatures and no clue on a time frame, as noted starting in the updates to the project from the 30th of January 2014 as the entire Wave 1 line was put through pre-production starting after the delivery date was missed. No pictures of the Wave 2 products were ever shown. Ouch. Um, well, I mean... Wish I could say I was totally surprised, but Palladium dropping the ball doesn't actually sound that uh, that surprising whatsoever. I will say, though, uh, looking at the Kickstarter for the Rift's Titan Robotics supplement that they did, they did actually complete this one. Um, they completed it uh, earlier this year in February, and the latest update was actually from the beginning of this month. Um... It seems like there, of course, some people are unhappy, but the only the only complaint that I can actually really see is that uh, people not in the U.S. have to pay additional money for shipping for their hard copy books, and they're pissed about that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at least it got made. Yeah, they actually made it, <laughs> uh, which gives me a bit more hope for the, their their upcoming Kickstarter for Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Sad thing is, though, like, I'm not playing Rifts, and I'm not playing Ninja Turtles, so I'm not actually going to back any of these. <laughs> I was just... Man, maybe, maybe this is what I need to do with my time, is do that, uh, get that Rifts podcast started that we talked oh, about. Oh, boy, yeah. Well, do we... Rifts or TMNT now? Oh, man, it's the same system, isn't it? It sure is. Why not, why not all of it? Matt... Why not both? Um, something cool about the... You know what appeals to me about the Ninja Turtles Kickstarter they're doing, though? Is that one of the upper-tier rewards... Who knows if it will ever be uh, uh, fulfilled, of course. But one of the upper-tier rewards is uh, new custom miniatures. So you get the Ninja Turtles, but as, as like little minifigs for your battle map. That's pretty cool. I uh, was just thinking, like, man, I bet... I, I should ask uh, McGill to, like, make a Rifts character 
just to see if he could even like pull it together at this oh, point. Oh boy! And then I was, but then I was like, no, he's got to work on wicked ones. I can't have him distracted with the goddamn palladium. Yeah, that's just as, that's process. just as much work as uh, having to learn a whole new system. I am. Yeah. I am putting together Wicked Ones, though, so stay tuned for that as well. Uh, I'm super excited. All right. Well, uh, I think that's it for our episode. Heck yeah. Eh? We covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. So uh, if you want to get in touch with us, see when we post new episodes or follow us, check us out on Facebook, uh, Comparing Campaign on Facebook. Uh, or if you want to see our show notes and supplemental materials, which will hopefully include some of the images we referenced in today's episode, check us out on comparingcampaign.wordpress.com. Uh, uh, go exploring, arrive at a destination, and find your target. Yeah, but maybe don't take it notoriety every time. Maybe put a bit into favor or something. <laughs> Yeah, if if you get knocked out by your target, maybe drop your notoriety for the next round. Take care, everybody.